All right, let's go ahead and find in our Bibles Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you're just joining us this morning and visiting, we welcome you. And uh, if you have just started coming to our church since Christmas time or later, uh, let me let you know that we were in a series through this letter to the Roman church, and we had made our way until chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, And then we paused for the Advent season. I don't always take every Sunday of Advent season to use for uh, that purpose, but we did this year and uh, preparing us for uh, Christmas. And then I wanted to do a New Year's theme on spiritual growth, and so we took the month of January to look at Galatians 5 and what true spiritual growth is, walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and those kinds of things. But now we're ready to dive back into the book of Romans, but I do not think it would be wise to just jump back in at chapter 5, verse 12, either for you or for me. I needed a week or so to reorient my mind to the book and maybe give a couple of bird's eye view messages of where we've been and even maybe a little bit of where we're going Uh, in this particular letter. Let's read, to get started, let's just read beginning in verse 1, and we will read through verse 17, which is the introduction to this letter and really sets the theme of it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's just pause and ask God's blessing on His Word. Father, we need now the guidance of the Spirit. I need His gifting and love and clarity and wisdom. And we all need to be given eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand this amazing letter. And so I'm praying for that now, that you would help us and guide us in these next few minutes. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Martin Luther wrote a commentary largely based, I think, upon his lectures and sermons of the book of Romans. And this is what he said in the preface to it. This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. You know, one reason I think that it would be wise for us as a church to take our time as we walk through this letter to the Romans week by week on Sunday mornings to really just take our time and not be in a huge hurry is because I agree with what Luther has said here. It is the most important part of our New Testaments. It is purest gospel. It is an explanation for the Christian of the foundations of the gospel itself, what we are to believe and think and how we're to respond to it. The importance of the book of Romans and the importance of the gospel itself that this is clearly about Paul who had been set apart by God for the gospel to go about preaching it and sharing it specifically to Gentile people like most of us in this room. It is so important, I think, that we need to give our time to. And so we've even put out for you certain verses out of each chapter for you to memorize. Okay, and we're up through chapter 5 now because if you do that, you'll be getting from those chapters, each of those chapters, the main verses, the main idea of that particular chapter. You can use that to meditate on and then almost have a trail or a path through all 16 chapters when you're done of what the book of Romans is all about. So I'm encouraging you not to just give yourself to the sermons, but actually, as we're walking through this, give yourself to the book of Romans in its entirety, even in your private time and in your own time of meditation on scriptural truths. The book of Romans plays a prominent position in our Bibles 
and I don't think that's an accident. After you get through the four narrative portions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of Jesus' life and uh, ministry and teaching and death and resurrection, you go through then the book of Acts, which is another narrative account of the early church and the spread of the gospel and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, it is not, I don't think, it is not an accident that our uh, Bible translators and those who are putting the texts together for us put Romans first. It isn't because Romans was the first one written. Matter of fact, most believe that that was 1 Thessalonians. It wasn't Paul's earliest letter. It's here because it fits in this position right after you have those gospel accounts of what Jesus did and taught and then you have that early church growth to place this letter here in this prominent position for us to get our attention and how important it is for us to even put it in this position. I'm not the only one to think that. Actually, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has a a series of commentaries based on his uh, sermons and lectures that he gave over the course of a number of years in London on a Friday evening to his congregation, said this, I would suggest to you that it is here in the first position because the church was given the wisdom by the Holy Ghost to realize that it is first in importance. It has been recognized as the epistle in which we are face-to-face with all the foundational truths of the Scriptures. And it has been used as a letter by God and its contents and its explanation of the gospel over and over again throughout church history to bring people to faith in Christ, some of them very prominent, Martin Luther being one of them was saved by studying Romans 1 and verses 16 and 17 and wrestling with those verses. The Lord transformed his heart. And you, you, know, you get any commentary on the book of Romans and you start reading through these introductions and most of them will give account after account all the way back to men like Augustine many uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago and all the way through who have been saved or helped by this particular letter. It is very important. I hope we see it that way. I hope when we dive into any part of God's Word, we understand what we're dealing with here. But when we come into the book of Romans, how important it is for us as Christian people to know this letter and to in some ways master its contents for us and for our lives. And let me just say and remind you here that this is a letter We often say the book of Romans, which is okay, but it's not entirely accurate. This was just simply a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Rome. He had not been to this church. He didn't found this church. That's not the case with some of his other letters. It's the case with this one. Hadn't been there, but he planned to go there, as he said a number of times, got hindered in that. But was going there and kind of preparing the way ahead, wanted them to support him in his missionary endeavors. So he's writing ahead and in many ways just trying to outline his gospel for them. Kind of get these preliminaries out of the way so when he gets there, he can minister to them and they can send him on his way. It's validation of what he's going to go preach uh, when he gets past the Roman church and continues to go throughout the world and proclaim the gospel. But it is just a letter. 
just a simple letter written by a man with the intention to write it to a church who would read it together. And you know, as I thought about that fact, it struck me how God uses and works through very ordinary means, very daily, human, ordinary means to, to accomplish extraordinary things. I think the church sometimes gets that wrong. We think we've got to do something extraordinary. And when we do something extraordinary, then God will work through that extraordinary thing. So we love productions and big things because we think through this big things, God's going to do something big when actually it seems like in the main, God just chooses very simple, ordinary means to accomplish his work in the hearts and lives of people. It includes a letter that was written to this church that includes every week when you show up, we do very simple things. We sing. We read the Bible. We partake of communion. We pray. We aren't in any... We, it doesn't even come into our minds to bring any kind of entertainment value to this service. We're not trying to put, to put together a big production, very simply gathering to worship God. But do you know what? God does extraordinary things in the moments of this service. And that includes you too, friends. When you go out in your life, you understand it's through those simple daily things God is doing wonderful, extraordinary things. Your commitment may be that you've made this year. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to read my Bible in those moments. It's nothing spectacular, but God is working among it, you see. This is what he does. Well, the, the letter to the Roman church, as I've mentioned, is all about the gospel. It's kind of laying it out, and especially those first eight chapters before Paul deals then in chapters 9 through 11 with um, Israel and what God's doing with them and then goes in through uh, chapter 12 through the end and some practical exhortation and other things. It is a, it's a letter about the gospel and its outworkings. And so he begins, remember, in this introductory portion with saying some things about the gospel. And the first thing that he mentions, just even in those first eight verses, is he clarifies what the gospel is. Verse 1, remember, it's the gospel that comes from God, so he didn't make this up. The early church didn't make this up. This comes from God. This is good news, that, by the way, is what the word gospel means. Good news that comes from God. And it's concerning, verse 3, his son. When you think about the gospel... Remember that it is the gospel about his son who became a man, descended from David, as he mentions here, whose name, of course, was Jesus. So the gospel in the good news is about Jesus. It's about his life. It's about his teaching. It's about his death. It's about his resurrection. And even as he mentions now, his ascension into this status as the exalted Lord, the exalted and glorified Son of God who is ruling and reigning over everyone and everything right now. See, friends, when you are, when you are sharing the gospel, so let's say you get an opportunity to witness to somebody, and you're like, okay, I'm in it now. 
I'm, I'm witnessing, Here's a, it's about to happen, and you're talking to this person, you need to talk to them about the gospel, and specifically, you need to talk to them about Jesus. That's where you're headed. Now, within the gospel, even within those first verses, we see it's the gospel of the triune God. You see God the Father here, you see God the Son, and you even see God the Holy Spirit uh, show up in these verses. It's the triune God of the gospel, but the gospel is designed by God specifically to focus on Jesus. We just sang it. Uh, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. Mercy flows from or through Him alone, you see. You, when you're sharing the gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to share that with people. And notice this, I think this is important. Verse 2, it's the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Friends, what he's referring to here, okay, the gospel that was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, he's talking about this portion of your Bible. And if you just went back to the book of Genesis... And you went all the way through here uh, to Malachi, right before Matthew. This section right here is what he's referring to. Which means that we could do this with our Bibles, couldn't we? We could look at this major section of the Bible. And we wouldn't want to say something like this. We wouldn't want to say, well, that you know what? That's all for the Jews. That's all for Israel there. This is all God's account of Israel. And we wouldn't want to say something like this. We want to say, well, that's all about the law, you see, in the Old Covenant. Because as soon as we say something like that, we imply that it really doesn't have anything to do with me. Which is sort of what Andy Stanley is saying right now. If you follow that in the news at all, Charles Stanley's son. This is really pretty irrelevant. Friends, this is where God, you could summarize the whole Old Testament of your Bible with God's promise to send His Son. It's the gospel. Genesis through Malachi is the gospel. Every bit as much as Matthew through Revelation is the gospel. Those early... Books, what you're seeing is the promise of the gospel. And then you get to Matthew and Christmas time and you see the fulfillment of the promise of the gospel. Here it is, but it's nothing new. It's already been promised, prophesied about, proclaimed, prepared. And here it is now, fulfilled in Jesus. And you read those Four, cha- uh, four books of Jesus' ministry and the fulfillment of that promise and the cross. And then you read Acts and you see that promise being spread now throughout the Jews and among the nations and the gospel going. Then you get to Romans and it's explaining in detail this gospel that was promised beforehand. Matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said that the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. You know that God preached the gospel to Abraham? The gospel concerning his son would be born from the seed of David, would be crucified but wouldn't stay that way, would be resurrected and exalted to the position of glory. That's the Old Testament really in a concise fashion. When you read your Old Testament, you need to be looking for things like that, right? If that's what it's about, if it's about the gospel, then read it like a gospel person. Read it like a gospel person who knows the rest of the story and knows who it's all pointing towards. And even as we looked at, remember what we talked about in chapter 4? That thing that we can know for sure is that when we believe in Jesus, we become sons of Abraham by faith. Remember that? You see, we cannot over, make an over-distinction between Israel and the church. Because if you do that, friends, it will rob the whole Old Testament from you. Because all of it was written to Israel and not the New Testament church. How does it become ours? How can we see those promises? Because through faith, those who share the faith of Abraham become the true spiritual Jew. That's why in chapter 2, remember what we said? This is the memory verses that you had. Verse 28, no one is a Jew. Listen to these words. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You, you've ever read through the book of Acts, and you noticed who Paul's greatest opponents were? It was not the Roman government. It was the Jewish people. And if you ever wondered why they hated Paul so much, it's because he said stuff like that. You know what he was saying? You know, he's saying this Jewish person that rejects Christ, descended from Abraham physically, could trace his descendancy back. He says to that person, the Gentiles who come to faith in Christ are more of a Jew than you are. You think God's promises are for you? They have now been given to the believers in Christ. This is why we don't want to draw over distinctions where God seems to diminish the distinctions and show you, friends, that all of the Old Testament is for you as well. Well, anyway, that wasn't even in my notes. That was a digression. 
2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Remember, he's writing to Timothy here. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What part of the scripture is he talking about? He's not talking about Matthew through Revelation. He's saying you were raised up in Genesis through Malachi and those are able to make you wise for salvation. Listen, through faith in Jesus Christ. It was all about the gospel of God's son being promised. Has the ability to do just that. I want to reiterate something for all of our children's ministry workers First, you need to understand that you are a gospel teacher. That's what you are. You're a gospel proclaimer. And when you are teaching these young ones, I've said this many times and it's largely tied to my testimony, you need to understand that what you have to do is impress in their minds over and over again the gospel about Jesus Christ, what he did, why it matters, why it was necessary, and how they respond to it. Because some of those kids you're teaching, unfortunately, when they have their opportunity, are going to walk away from the church. And they're going to go into the world. Like I did. But... You embed the gospel in them, the gospel seed in them, so that one day, like what happened with me, the Spirit of God can breathe life, and I, can, I knew, had heard the gospel, and it comes to them, like it did to me, the power of God unto salvation, you see. So you're a gospel teacher, and it's the gospel of Jesus, but the reason I bring it up here is this. Largely in children's ministries, you will oftentimes be teaching through the Old Testament. Those are not just nice stories of people that were either bad or good, with the primary lesson being, be good like this person or be bad, uh, don't be bad like that person. That's not the primary message. It's one of the sub-points off of the main point. You need to be asking, how does this prepare a heart for Christ? And how does this point to Jesus? Because if Paul is right in verse 16, and we know he is, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and if he's right in verse 16, two and three, that it's the gospel about his son, then you need in the Old Testament to be preaching the gospel to children. Do you see how that works? When I took biblical Hebrew, I had a textbook we were using as a part of another textbook, and at the end of that, they had a series of messages that the author had preached from the Old Testament, trying to show the students Um, how they should preach when they come to the Old Testament, giving them examples. And I read through those sermons, and I thought, these are good sermons if you want to make good moral people. Because it teaches them how not to be bad and how to do good things. 
But they were not Christian sermons because there was no Christ in them. And I've heard it said, it wasn't unique with me, but it's true, and it's always stuck with me. I don't remember who said it, but it said, if your sermon could be accepted in a Jewish synagogue on any given Saturday, then it's not a Christian sermon. The entire Bible now, just to review, as we're looking at the book of Romans, the entire Bible from cover to cover is the gospel concerning God's Son. Okay? That's why Paul, as we've walked through the, even just these four and a half chapters so far, has spent so much time in the Old Testament. That was all, cha- remember chapter 4 in its entirety. Not only in chapter 3 and chapter 2, chapter 1, is he quoting from the Old Testament? Like as an example, he quotes here in verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quotation from the Old Testament. He goes on and mentions many others as he's trying to bring everybody under sin. He's doing that. He's talking about the law. He's talking about, in chapter 4, the account of Abraham brings you right back to the account of Abraham to show you, by the way, that's how everybody is saved, just like Abraham, by faith alone, the promise of God alone. That's why he uses so much of the Old Testament. It is so critical to our understanding of the gospel message. So we would never want to abandon the Old Testament. We don't want to minimize the Old Testament. We don't want to treat it or read it like it's not for us. Because it's all the gospel concerning his son. Now look at verses 16 to 17. These were your first memory verses. In these verses, the themes, the main themes of Romans emerge. Of course, the gospel, salvation, faith, and righteousness. The gospel, salvation, faith, and righteousness. These are the main themes that he, this is almost like a heading for at least the rest of the first eight chapters of this book. The main key themes Which, when you're presenting the gospel, then once again, you need to understand what the gospel is. You need to understand faith. What is it to respond to the gospel? You need to understand the righteousness of God. Be able to explain that to somebody. Right? That would be important. If that's what the gospel is, in it is revealed... The righteousness of God from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You need to be able to explain those things to people. But you'll notice that it is the power of God into salvation. And I think this is what is so encouraging and why Paul was just so utterly unashamed of this message, even though it drew such hostility from the world. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God unto salvation. What he means by that, and if you were to just, we can't take the time to look at it, but you go through some of his other letters, what he understood is this, that he would go around and simply proclaim the good news to people. He would do sometimes do that in fear and trembling, his words, in weakness, but he would just share the gospel. And people would be saved. 
He's presenting a weakness and fear and trembling. And then people would get saved as he presents it. He, he didn't try to be this super articulate public speaker or have man's wisdom involved. He's just simply presenting the gospel and people would be saved. That's because salvation comes from the power of God through the gospel presentations. Which means when you are sharing the gospel, all you need really to do is share the gospel in all its simplicity. And you trust then God to do what only he can do. And we've said this before. You cannot convert the person. You cannot save the person. You cannot change the heart. You can't grant the conviction and repentance and faith necessary. You can't command light into darkness. You can't command life into lifelessness. All you can do is present this message of Christ and let the power of God flow through it into the lives and hearts of God's people. This is your responsibility. Isn't that good to know that you don't need to, you know, be some super smart person? And I, you know, I think apologetics are great. That defense of the faith, that's, that's good stuff. But friends, there's no way you're going to learn every defense of the faith and be able to counter every argument that somebody brings to you. And aren't you glad you don't have to do that? God says, share the gospel for it is my power unto salvation to everyone who believes. We can be confident then, can we? And unashamed. Unashamed of presenting the gospel to people because we know it's the power of God and salvation even if they end up going like this. Just like David Paul so many times. Yeah, that's stupid. That's foolishness. Or even as he experienced many times, they become hostile to what you're saying to them. Share the gospel. And then the last section I want to look at this morning is 18, chapter 1, verse 18. And that runs all the way through. You'll remember this because we talked about this a lot. It runs all the way through to chapter 3, verse 20. What we will call this section, beginning in verse 18, where he says, now the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Okay? So it sets this theme, remember, of what we will call the necessity of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, that's the necessity of the gospel. That's because, as if you've been here, you'll remember, or if you've read this and familiar enough with it, this is where he deals with sin and God's righteous response to it. It's a heavy, weighty section, and we spent months going through it. Detailing out the seriousness of sin, the real problem human beings have, and the wrath of God that has been incurred. Which means, friends, a faithful presentation of the gospel. Now, this is real important, okay? And I'm winding down, so don't worry. I have a clock that's right up there, <laughs> and I see it. This is real important, though. 
a faithful presentation of the gospel must deal with the sin of the person you're witnessing to. You cannot bypass this, though you may be tempted to do so. Especially with people you work with or that, and they live lives just contrary to everything God says in the Bible, but you really care for them. They're coworkers, they're friends. You like these people, and you don't want to offend them, and you don't want to run across these roadblocks. You know, we just drove Ashley and Jace to the airport earlier this week in Montrose. So you take 50 and you're going to Delta. You start to get into Delta and everybody that travels that a lot, you're going to Montrose, you know what you want to do. You want to make a right at Confluence Drive because it's quicker and it takes you around. You bypass annoying little Delta. Sorry, Delta people. No, the city's all right, I guess, whatever. But it's annoying because stoplight after stoplight after stoplight. It adds like 10 minutes onto your time on a good day, okay? So you make that right. You bypass it because you see those lights coming up. You're like, I don't want to do that. You bypass it. But friends, we can't, when you're sharing the gospel, you're going to see, you're going to know people, something you're going to care about, and you're going to know their life is messed up and they don't care that it's messed up. And they have no plans to change the way they're living or the way they're acting. And you're going to see those as, as stoplights, to your gospel presentation, and you're going you're gonna to be tempted to detour off of that, kind of go around it, let's get to the other side. Let's not talk a lot about that. You can't do it. Paul doesn't let you. Chapter 1 through 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, are the stoplights, really, of your sin and mine. This is the reason for the gospel. You see, friends, without sin, the gospel just doesn't make any sense. Why would God send his son to die? What's the cross all about? Why do I need salvation? I'm not that bad, you see. We have to maintain sin, say it in the right way. I get it. Loving way, if you love the person anyway, you'll say these things in the right way. But what I'm saying is you can't bypass it because it's, it's really where we have to go to get to the gospel, right? To get to the good news, you have to walk through the bad news, all right? Now, one last thing, I'm just gonna put these verses up on the screen. One thing very important, and as you notice, I'm trying to bring this back in, talking about the gospel exclusively, yes, and then talking about sharing it because what Paul is making clear here is that the good news is designed to be proclaimed. The good news is designed to be shared with nobody excluded from that. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm under obligation to Greeks, to barbarians, to wise, to foolish I preach the gospel to Jews. I preach it to Gentiles, everybody. It's a gospel that God, that comes from God about his son designed to be shared with people. Preached from pulpits, shared in schools, uh, shared in neighborhoods, shared at grocery stores. It is designed by God. Go about now, proclaim this good news to people. It's designed to be proclaimed. And as you're doing that, you need to remember always 
that you, and especially in the context we just talked about, the sin of others, you need to remind yourself that you were once this person. It's always got to be in the context of grace, meaning you've experienced this grace for yourself, which means you are no better than the person you're witnessing to. Paul said in Titus 3, remind them, that is the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. The gospel is in the context of God's loving kindness and mercy and grace. And the church must present it in such a way. And we must keep our demeanor even throughout this world, even as it gets hostile. Paul's telling this to, to... Cretans. This he would, Titus was in Crete. These were Cretans. And he says, you just share this with them with grace, knowing you were the same way. We'll pick up where we left off next week. Let's pray. Father, now take your word, both read and preached, and please apply it to the hearts and minds of your people in a way that would bring benefit to them and to others and bring glory to your name. I pray that even as we get to take communion now and participate in this wonderful gospel ordinance that you would remind us of your goodness and loving kindness in Christ and in the cross. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay.